till these last days where on the Passover, they're taking the Lord's Supper together. They're celebrating the Passover like they're supposed to. They go to the garden to pray with Christ. He's arrested by Judas and the priests and the guards, and then he is sent off to be crucified. So this last thing he does with the disciples before going and praying in the garden alone and then going to the cross alone. So the immediate context of this passage is the upper room. They're celebrating the Passover as they're supposed to. Jesus called these disciples together. About three years now, they've been with him and he's been ministering. His earthly ministry only taking about three years. As he travels around preaching the good news, uh, healing the sick, and declaring that God has come down, finally the Messiah is with them. And although they don't understand it, he was also declaring that he was here going to die for their sins and yet rise again. So when they take the Passover here, he says to them, Now, the bread, that's my body, and it's going to be broken for you. And the wine, this is the new blood of a new covenant that's established for the forgiveness of sin." So he says, take this as well. In doing so, he declares that it is all for them. The only other things we really have recorded that go on here in the upper room as they're celebrating the Passover is that first Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And then also, there's the prophecy he gives out, letting them know that it is Judas, the one who's going to do the betraying. But also it's Peter who's going to be doing some betraying of his own declares that Peter is going to deny him three times, and Judas is the one who's going to betray him to death. They sing a hymn, they go off to the garden to pray, finally, before he goes to the cross. So that's for the immediate context. That's what's happening there. The next thing is just praying in the garden. The only other things worth talking about here is how Christ knows that he is going to go to the cross alone. There is nobody else who could go. It was only Christ who is a good enough sacrifice, only Christ who is acceptable and pleasing to God the Father, who is without sin, who could die for our sins. And so he goes alone. And this is made clear over and over again. Even the best of the disciples, Peter, is going to deny him and flee from the work at this time. So Christ goes to the cross alone. But he also washes the disciples' feet. How are we supposed to do this ourselves? You know, as a digression, this biblical foot washing, it's been hard to figure out the application of this for a while. This was a normal need there in their time. Uh, They wore sandals. Their feet got dirty from walking around. They needed them washed. They were always washed before they went into a celebration. But it was always a servant. It's a pretty demeaning job to have to do the foot washing. Yet Jesus washes his disciples' feet, and they're embarrassed and ashamed about this, that, they, that he should be serving them in such a humiliating and humbling way for them. And yet, this is a symbol of what Christ came to do, to do that thing which is so humbling to us, so humiliating even to us, but that we simply can't do for ourselves and need someone else. Christ comes to serve in such a way. And likewise, while we don't necessarily need our feet washed, and I don't think it's practice that our church needs to practice where we go around trying to wash each other's feet literally, 
The goal for all of us is to figure out what the application of this is for each other. What are those things that we need other people to do for us, but it's a little humbling or humiliating that we need help with it? There's all kinds out there. And this one, you'll only get this right if you think long and hard and carefully about. Sometimes it's caring for another person in an intimate, humble way when they're going through a sickness. Sometimes, you know, I, I tell Trevor the applications for us, and he told me he was joking last Sunday about how much I make him move tables and chairs and how much we do that. You know, that's part of the application for us. That's something we can do uh, for other members of the congregation who simply can't move around tables and chairs any longer, but we're happy to do it. There's all kinds of things that we do for each other that might feel a little humbling, but it's the joy of ours, each of us, to get to serve each other in this way. So that's the immediate context of what is happening right there in the upper room. But now how about how does this fit into Christ's ministry? How does the taking of the Lord's Supper, how does Christ's offering it to the disciples fit into his entire ministry? We have to go back very early on in the Gospel of John to the wedding feast at Cana, you remember, where in the wedding feast at Cana, Jesus' mother, this is the first miracle it's said that he performs, Jesus' mother says this wedding feast is run out of wine and this is a problem and an embarrassment for the people. And so she calls on Jesus and says, Jesus, would you do something? And Jesus does. He turns water into wine. It's a celebration. The master of ceremonies there at the wedding declares that this is the best thing that could have happened, that everyone else saves the worst for last. But here, it's the best for last. And this wine poured out, it's symbolic of Christ's whole ministry, that it happens at a wedding feast, inaugurating something, a joining together of a bride and a groom, a celebration, and the sweet wine poured out for everyone who is there to be able to drink and fellowship together. That's how he begins his ministry. And how does he end his ministry? John chapter 19, verse 28, on the cross, it says, After this, when Jesus knew everything was now finished, so that Scripture might be fulfilled, He said, I'm thirsty. And a jar of sour wine was sitting there, and so they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch, and they held it up to His mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Do you understand that he serves us the sweet wine and himself drinks the sour wine? If he serves us the bowl, the cup of the grace of God, then he's the one who drinks the wrath of God for us. He takes the judgment so that we can have the joy. This is the work of Christ in our lives. Though we've sinned, He comes into our lives as He came into the world to inaugurate a celebration of the joining of not just a bride and a groom, but us with God all together. And in joined with Him, we do it with the cup of His blood spilled for our sins. 
All the while he drinking the wrath of God for our sake that we would not have to. From the beginning of his ministry on earth with the wedding feast in Cana to the end of his ministry on earth when they offer up some sour wine on a sponge to quench his thirst, he says, it is finished. It is done. And he did what he came to do for our sake. And just before he goes to the cross, he takes the cup and he takes the bread and he offers it to his disciples and he says, this is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, the word of the Lord for us. That's how it fits into the gospel, into the ministry of Jesus on earth. So how does the Lord's Supper fit into the Old Testament? If you go back to Exodus chapter 12, you'll see the declaration of Passover. After all, that's what they're doing today. They're taking the Passover in the upper room. It's the time for that feast, and the Passover feast was for the people of Israel a remembrance itself of when God brought about salvation before. When God was ready to bring his people out of slavery in Egypt, he sent miracles, but the miracles were terrible signs. Judgment against Egypt and against each Egyptian god in turn. The god of the Nile got his. The god of livestock that they had got theirs. And God declared one after another, miracle after miracle, plague after plague, that he was the god who was sovereign over all things. He wasn't a small god or a petty god. He was the god of all. And he was the god of Israel. And he was going to bring them out. And that final terrible plague was when Moses declared to Pharaoh and to the people of Egypt, the people of Israel, that the angel of death was going to come through the entire land and the firstborn child of every family was going to be killed. But not for Israel. For Israel, death was going to pass over their houses. And what they were to do was to take a lamb, a perfect unblemished lamb, And they were to slaughter it and cook it whole and eat all of it. And they were to take the blood of the lamb and smear it on the doorposts of their house. And when the angel of death came by, then death itself would pass over their houses, seeing that their house was under the blood of the lamb. Though there was great sorrow and wailing, though the judgment of God was poured out on Egypt that night for how vile they had been, Yet it passed over those who had the blood of the Lamb. What a terrifying night. You imagine the Israelites, as they're commanded to do, cooking this whole lamb. They're to eat it standing up around the table, ready to go. God says you have to be ready to go because you're going to leave this very night and no longer be slaves. You're going to start your way to the promised land. He says, while you're eating the lamb, keep your walking stick in your hand, he says. Tuck your robe in, put your belt and shoes on and get ready to go. And you've got to imagine all these children of Israel who are there wondering what's happening, saying, Mom, Dad, what is going on? As their father smears the blood of this lamb over the doorpost and has them eat every last bite till it's all consumed and tells them that God is about to act powerfully and save them all, delivering them that night both from slavery and also from death. And so he does. And year after year, the people of Israel have a feast to celebrate the Passover. 
they eat the unleavened bread, the idea being this bread that you didn't have time to let it rise overnight. You had to cook it and make it in a hurry. They ate tortillas, essentially, pita if you prefer. Always to remember that time when God had death and judgment pass over them, when God brought them out of slavery and established with them a covenant, and a covenant made in the blood of animals. So here is Christ. On the night he is going to be betrayed and go to be crucified, taking the Passover bread, saying no longer does this celebrate only what God has done, but now it celebrates what God is doing right now. It's time for a new covenant. And this new covenant will be for the forgiveness of sins. This new covenant will be for freedom from slavery, but not slavery from Egypt, freedom from the slavery of our sins. And this new covenant will be in my blood. I will be the sacrifice that makes a way for forgiveness, freedom, and for death to pass over you. That's the Old Testament to New Testament context. Do you see how we have to talk about all of Scripture to talk about what's going on here at Passover, here at the Lord's Supper? Finally, you ought to ask, not just how does it connect to the Old Testament, but how does it connect to the entirety of Scripture, beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, It goes like this. It's very simple. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. He created Adam and Eve, humanity, in His own image. Not the same as everything else. Above everything else. Bearing the very image of God, He created them to rule and subdue everything else. To fill the world with the praises of God. And He gave them one command. Do not eat of this tree. Tempted, however, they break the command of God and they take and eat. The first sin is take and eat. And it will take all of this time, all of these covenants, for Christ Himself, God, to come down and take on flesh sit in the upper room with his disciples and say, now take and eat and redeem them by the very act with which sin came into the world. Here is the very act with which redemption comes into the world. They took and ate. And so sin and death came into the world. Jesus says, now take and eat so that life and forgiveness can come into our lives. This is the plan, the perfect, beautiful plan of our God. But it goes on into the end of Scripture, Revelation 19, after all these things that will come to pass, come to pass, after Christ returns, the dead in Christ rise, there's a tribulation, a final time for people to put their trust in Him, this declared coming millennial reign of Christ on earth at the very end of all that's going to happen. In Revelation 19, there's this section called the wedding feast of the Lamb. This is just like in Cana, 
when Jesus poured out the wine at that wedding feast, there's going to be this coming wedding feast. But it's not going to be the joining of just any bride and groom. It's going to be the joining of us with God. The bride is the church, all believers, and the groom is Christ himself. And that we will be with him and brought into union with him forever. This great final feast and celebration in which Christ pours the wine and serves the meal. It's no accident that he says here with the taking of the Lord's Supper that he will not do this again until he does it with them in the kingdom of God someday. We're to expect, though we weren't there for the upper room, that we will be there when Christ next serves the bread and wine. That we will be included, and this is God's plan for our life. So you know the immediate context, the upper room. You know how it fits into Jesus' ministry on earth. From the wedding feast at Cana to him taking the bitter wine and dying on the cross for us. You know how it fits with the Old Testament Passover. And you know how it fits in all of Scripture. That all of it from beginning to what has not happened yet is focused on Jesus Christ our Lord. The very love of God for us. His plan from the beginning to bring about forgiveness at great cost and draw us into relationship with us to fix everything that is broken, to forgive sin for all of those who would repent and believe, and to give us life, and what's more, life forever. This is who our God is. This is the good news of the gospel. This is why you don't have to be afraid or worried about life. Though there are difficulties and present sufferings, I tell you these things are not worthy to compare to what Christ has done for you, is doing in your life now, and will do when He returns. This is why we celebrate the Lord's Supper, to together proclaim all of these truths. So why the Lord's Supper? You understand it in Scripture. Why do we take it today as we are taking it? A few things. Here's the answers. In question form, too. We do it to obey Christ. Why are we taking the Lord's Supper today? We do it because Christ said, do this in remembrance of me. We're taking today to remember Him. We're taking today because it's our joy to obey Him. Because we know, whether it's the commands in the garden or to Israel or to us now, that all the commands of God are for our joy and benefit that lead us to the good land, the good place, relationship with God, and the good life in Him. It's our joy to obey Him. And so we do this in obedience to Him. Now, let the person who refuses to obey Christ today in some other area of their life, let them go ahead and, and keep themselves from taking the Lord's Supper today. It simply will not do for you to say, yes, I will obey Christ in this way, 
if you are unwilling to obey Christ in other areas of your life. The command is repent and believe. In the Pentecost sermon where Peter preaches to the crowds and they all realize the sin that they did in crucifying Christ, they say to Peter, what do we need to do? We want to be right with God. What do we do? And what does Peter say to them? He says, take the Lord's Supper and it'll all be sorted out for you. No. Peter says, repent and believe. It is in our turning away from our sins and obeying Christ and our belief in Jesus Christ that we have our salvation. This is the symbol remembering that. But there's no use in taking this if we do not believe or if we're unwilling to repent today. So I ask you, are you going to obey Him every day of your life from this day till the day you die or Christ returns? See, the ritual is good and right. We do it in obedience. But it is our faith and repentance, our trusting in Christ, and our backing it up with a life lived in faith that brings about the forgiveness of our sins. If you've done these things, then your sins are already forgiven. This will add nothing to it. But perhaps, we bring about more anger from God if you're unwilling to repent today. So do not take if you're not willing to repent. You know, this is also why we as a congregation can go for a whole year without taking the Lord's Supper. We shouldn't ever do that. <laughs> this has been awful. However... In the case of an emergency, we can, although I don't expect for us to again, we can because it's not this that saves. Let us rejoice today to get back to obeying Christ and proclaiming to each other, to ourselves, to God, that Jesus Christ's death paid for all of my sins. But we can declare that. We can grow in our faith, even if we haven't been able to take the Lord's Supper in a while. Because I think this will work out well for us today to be able to take it like this, even if there is future viruses or trouble and we're just driving up for a long time yet to come, we can still take in this way, and so we'll plan to try it. I hope that this past year, has allowed you opportunities, given all of the challenges that have come our way, in spite of the suffering and difficulties, I hope that you have seen these as opportunities to trust Christ all the more. I think we all know with sorrow that many people's hearts grew hard during this past year. That many people walked away from their faith or traded trusting in God for trusting in something else or someone else. The hearts of many, I think, was revealed tragically. But it's entirely possible that for you, you were able to grow in trusting Christ despite the difficulties, knowing that He was good no matter what knowing that His promises endure, that the Holy Spirit was with you the whole time. And that even though you may be a little worse for wear today, Christ was always with us. The work never stopped. 
and the goodness of God was never far away from us. So I ask you today, are you willing to repent of your sins? Are you going to obey Christ all the days of your life? Further, I ask you today, do you publicly acknowledge that you're a sinner in need of forgiveness? One of the reasons that when we take this, we never take it alone, we always take it together, is so that each of us can publicly acknowledge to all the people around us, I need the grace of God. To take is to acknowledge, not secretly, but publicly with the rest, that I'm a sinner dependent upon God forgiving me. Do you today acknowledge that you're a sinner in need of forgiveness? Next, do you believe that Christ's death paid for all of your sins? Do you believe that there is no debt left to be paid for our sins? If you believe this, we'll come and take with us today. Do you believe that Christ is coming back again? After all, when Christ set this up in the upper room, He told them to do this in remembrance of Me, proclaiming that He would come again and offer it Himself to those who believe. So do you believe that He's coming back again? And finally... Do you believe that we will live forever with our God? This is what's promised. Don't be shy about it. This isn't a claim for ourselves in arrogance, but a solid belief that He will do what He has said He would do. And what he said he will do will bring about eternal life, both the resurrection of those who are already dead and the joining of us who remain with him forever. In taking the Lord's Supper, we are declaring it's all true. (laughs) I believe all of it. I know I'm a sinner. I know there's nothing I can do about it but hope in God. But I also know that everyone who hopes in God is not put to shame. I believe that I deserve nothing, but God has been so good that He would give anyway. I believe that Christ's death was a sufficient payment for everything that I've done wrong so that there is no wrath left in God for my sins. And I believe that this is what God wants so much as He loves me. I believe that Christ is going to return at just the right time and set right everything that is wrong. And I believe that by faith I will live forever with Jesus Christ, my Lord. Are you ready to take the Lord's Supper today? I have finally for you a few questions that you can use to evaluate your own heart and prepare for the taking of the supper. First of all, 
is there any sin in your life that you need to repent of today? Take a moment and confess to Him whatever sin there's been in your life and make a commitment to be done with it forever. Go ahead, confess to Him silently and repent of what's left in your life that needs to be repented of. Second, evaluate your own heart. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? That He's satisfied the righteous requirements for us? Do you believe that He rose again? That He is alive? That He will return just as He said He would? Third, ask yourself this, are you really hungry for the grace of God today? Do you really thirst for righteousness? Do you want to know God with all of your heart Fourth, are you properly thankful to God today? Is the attitude of your heart towards Him one of thankfulness and appreciation? Or do you feel like He owes you something? Or do you feel like He's angry at you still? Neither of those are true. Our primary disposition towards Him is one of thankfulness. Are you properly thankful to God today? And fifth, are you ready to offer yourself likewise for the rest of the congregation? That one might surprise you, but that's what we're declaring, is that if Jesus is Lord and we are obedient to Him, then just as He gave His life for us, so we are willing to give our lives for each other. Whether in foot washing, in service, in care, or in honest to goodness giving our life for each other. You see, while each of us comes to trust Christ by ourselves, as soon as you do trust Christ, He puts us together in one boat. He knits us together. 
that coming consummation of all things, the wedding feast of the Lamb in the future, it's not you and Christ, it's us and Christ all together. This is why this is not an individualistic activity. We're not just in covenant with Christ, we're in covenant together. This is also why our requirements at Talatha for taking the Lord's Supper with us include believers' baptism. Some churches will expect you to be a member of the church in order to take the Lord's Supper, and it makes sense, after all, if we're proclaiming to each other that we're in this together, then we ought to actually be in a covenant with each other, members. However, that's not the expectation here. You don't have to be a member today of Talatha to take the Lord's Supper with us. But we do expect everyone who takes today with us to have experienced believer's baptism. This is not to say whether or not you're saved. Of course you can be saved without believer's baptism, just like you can be saved without taking the Lord's Supper. But here we are, Baptists. This is our way. This is the way we think best uh, obeys Christ. And so this is what we do. Everyone's Everyone's welcome to take today. But we think the right order of things is believe, be baptized, and then take the Lord's Supper. Because as we take this, we are saying to each other, I'm in it with you. I'm a sinner saved by grace, and now my life is for yours just as Christ's life was for me. So, as we prepare ourselves... As we sing a song together to worship Christ, our musicians, our singers are going to come back out now and lead us in a song, but I just want to ask you again, as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, have you repented of your sin? Are you going to obey Jesus as Lord for the rest of your life? Do you publicly acknowledge that you have sinned and are dependent upon the grace and forgiveness of God? Do you know what your forgiveness cost? Do you believe that Christ's death was a sufficient sacrifice to pay for all of your sins? And do you believe that Christ is coming back again? And do you believe that we will live forever with our God? Let us sing a song to prepare ourselves for the taking of the Lord's Supper. <laughs>